My children of the night, to the peak, the movie podcast where every episode someone picks a movie, we talk about it, and at the end someone picks another movie. That is the power of the peak, low concept, high fun, it's all about the rules. And we are your hosts, John Otney, Colin Westman, and Sean Lemmy. I was doing Dracula, you guys. I I know. I thought you were going to try and make us do voices, and I was going to try and do Keanu Reeves doing a British accent, but I I don't think I would have been able to do it because it it defies logic. (laughs) I feel like you trying to do an impression of Keanu Reeves doing a British accent would be better than Keanu Reeves doing a British accent. Maybe. I'm very excited to get into that. My bay. <laughs> that was it, I guess. <laughs> that was the one word impression. Yeah. I liked it though. It was good. <laughs> Woeth. Um but yeah, we're talking we're talking Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh it sounds like there's one subject in particular we're going to be talking a lot about. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I have a shitload of uh, fun facts to get into about this movie, so I'm just going to jump right to our Lil Picks. Uh, and I also have uh, quite a Lil Pick to unload. Not so much my Lil Pick, but it's it's it, the, my Lil Pick is related to some news that I heard recently. Um, so my Lil Pick, I'm just going to go with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, most people have seen it. Good horror movie. It's probably on streaming. I don't know. I have a steelbook. You can borrow it if you want. Okay, but here's what I want to talk about, you guys. I found out a few days ago they're making um, another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Now, that's not that surprising. They've made so many of those. It's the second soft reboot, though. And what I mean by that is, okay, now the first one and this one are the only ones that count. Which is, this is the second time they've done this. Nothing else in the middle counts. Uh, I, th- I think part of that is the uh, a new studio owns Texas Chainsaw. I believe Legendary now owns Texas Chainsaw. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a movie about old man Leatherface. Old fat man Leatherface. <laughs> going after, I think it's Elsie Fisher from 8th grade. And I like that. So there's promising things about this movie. Um, uh, I mean, there's things I'm not happy about. Like, can you guys guess what they're going to call this new movie? Chainsaw. Texas. I, I like where you're going with those. Uh, they're calling it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, okay. uh, so like Halloween, uh. like Halloween, we now have an original called Texas Chainsaw, a remake called Texas Chainsaw, and uh, another and a soft reboot called Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> now, none of them are actually just called Texas Chainsaw, though, right? Oh, no, there, there is the one called title. Texas Chainsaw. Okay, uh, I was, I was hoping I'd have to do this, but now I have to do this. I'm going to go through all the titles for you. Uh, this is just off the top of my head. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Classic. 70s. Love it. Uh, they don't do another movie for like 12 years. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Insanely weird movie. <laughs> Con and I watched it on Halloween once. 
Dennis Hopper has three chainsaws. The movie has literally no ending. It ends right before, like, there's going to be, like, a big standoff or something. And then it just ends. Bizarre. Weird Wait, movie. wait, wait. Three chainsaws? Oh, I, in my memory, um, Dennis Hopper he either had one on each side or he had two on his back. And then he had a smaller one. So he had three chainsaws. <laughs> that they could hold with his mouth while he has the well, other Well, the other ones are just dangling. Time. The other ones are just dangling off of his body as he uses the smaller one. Well, that's dangerous. It's cool, though. That's a good part of the movie. Uh, then there's a third one called Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. 3. One of the few that I have not seen, I, I came in the early 90s. It has oh. Viggo Mortensen. I don't really know so anything they, about it. They went with the Rambo naming convention. Exactly. Uh, then we go another four or five years, and we get... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Uh, this is probably the worst one. It's got Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey with a steampunk robot leg. And also, <laughs> Leatherface wears like this fancy evening gown and like he might be working with like the Illuminati or something like the Illuminati. It's very confusing. It's a bad movie. Uh, then we get I'm confused. Then we get a remake uh, from Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes called the texas chainsaw massacre uh, i saw it in theaters i think it's okay it's fine it's definitely like uh you know trying to get that torture porn dollar like it's on the you know it's following in the the wake of saw then we get texas chainsaw massacre the beginning which is a prequel to the other texas chainsaw massacre uh set in the 60s leatherface hasn't gotten his leather face yet <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's just got some other crappy mask. Uh, it's whatever. It's not that bad. Then you get Texas Chainsaw, a.k.a. Texas Chainsaw 3D, the first soft nice. reboot. Uh, it's not that good. It's it's weird how it's a direct sequel to the first one, and like it has no concept of time. So there's a character who's a baby um, at the at, like in the beginning in the 70s, and then later she's yeah. like in her 20s. But it's like, it's been uh-huh. 40 years. Why are you only in your 20s, but everyone's got modern cell phones? Uh, it's the X-Men thing. Yes. Like decades exactly. past, but the characters only exactly. age like three years. It makes no... The timeline is a fucking disaster, and it's stupid. Uh, <laughs> they got there so fast. It took X-Men a while to get there. And then they rush out another one right after that that I've not seen that's a prequel to all the movies called Leatherface. About kid Leatherface, uh-huh. but he's a handsome boy. Oh, they made they keep making him younger, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess we're gonna get. Well, no, we already had the baby version in the Michael, first Michael Bay one, so we've already seen baby. Um, I guess we could see like. No, let's not go any further. Um, okay, and then yeah, and then I figured it's done for a while, but now I have this new one, and this has kind of gotten off track from what my point was going to be in this conversation. But so we've been seeing this trend of. Hey, let's do the soft reboot where we kind of like forget the bad parts of the franchise. We bring back a lot of things people remember. Maybe we bring back some old actors. And it's like a nostalgia party, you know? They did it with like Force Awakens, Terminator, um, Halloween. So I got to ask you guys do you guys actually like this soft reboot era that we're in? Mm. It's okay. I don't hate it. I mean, I don't, 
don't really like it that much. Yeah, it's all right. It's like I I don't think you can divorce it from the fact that we're coming right off the remake era before this. Um and it's sort of I don't know, it's sort of better and worse that you're not getting the remakes cuz the remakes were just pointless movies a lot of the time. Yeah. Um and the soft reboots are sort of in a way more respectful to the originals but also sometimes it's worse because then it's like you bring back the actors or and uh, you know tie it in in some way and then you can't stop you know you can't think about the originals anymore without also thinking of this soft reboot as part of the same story and that's a bummer i don't know i think it's I mean, obviously, everyone just wants original ideas, and that'd be better. But I think it's better than the remake era. Yeah, because they usually have, like, some original ideas. It's just they also have to, uh, you know, make plenty of homages to the earlier films yeah, yeah. as well. So it's, show, off, show off all the knickknacks. Yeah, so it's kind of like, I don't know. It's a mixed bag, usually, but it's... It's better, I guess, than just making a soulless remake. Yeah. Maybe someday we'll get into an era of actually just making sequels again. That'd be cool. <laughs> if you're going to make a franchise I... movie, just make it something new. It just seems yeah. harder, though, because <laughs> you're we're just getting farther and farther away from the original movies. All the original actors are, will be, like, dead. So what, are you, what are you making a sequel to? <laughs> at that point I guess I just I've seen now a handful of these movies these soft reboots and I feel like so many of them just seem to lack confidence in being mm-hmm. their own thing they're so dependent on the other movies like they're so dependent on how good the other movies are and I, I think I kind of came to this conclusion that I wasn't a, a fan of them that much anymore after I rewatched the newer Halloween movie and I was like it's kind of stupid, actually. I mean, I like Jamie Lee Curtis, but, like, Michael's coming back after, like, 40 years to go after his sister again. I guess not a sister anymore, but still. Like, I can't remember. I can't keep track. But I just, like, and I know this is, of course, everyone wants this. It's just, like, I wish they could just do Fury Road, like how they did that, where it's, like, we're just going to take the best things about this franchise. We're going to take all the cool car chases um, we're going to take, like, the tone, the style. But aside from that, like, I mean, technically, I guess Max is in there, but, like, he's not, I mean, he's just some guy. Like, he could be anybody. He's not necessarily the same Max. It's like, just just take the things that you like about it. Like, if you're doing a new yeah. Texas Chainsaw, it doesn't have to be a sequel. Just do a movie with Leatherface. Don't even th- think about the other ones. But don't also don't try to frame it that the same don't do a remake where it's just the same kind of progression of events as the original either. I just wish yeah. people had more confidence. And it's just interesting that we're in this era. Like, we're going to get that new Ghostbusters, and it sounds like that has um, cameos from surviving cast members, I believe. And I don't know how you categorize the new Top Gun, because it seems like Tom Cruise is still like, I'm still in charge. He's not like passing the torch as much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just seems like it's a sequel. Just a really late just sequel. Just a really late sequel. So maybe that'll be amazing. He's I'll be a, like, this is what you do. He's the Paul Newman now. Yeah, the color of money. Exactly. 
So I just want to talk about that because I was thinking about that. Like, soft reboots. Do I like these? I, at first, I thought they were pretty cool, but now I'm like, I don't know. I'm starting to question those a bit. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll talk about more, this more another time. But yeah, my little pick is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Original. Original recipe. Enjoy it. All right. Uh, I guess I'll share my little pick then. Uh, my little pick is a movie that just came out on Netflix this week. It is The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's a movie written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. It is a very Aaron sorkin movie, uh, which uh, is usually good for me. I like most of his screenplays. Um, so it's, it's, it's about the, the trial of, um, this group of, uh, Vietnam War or anti-Vietnam War protesters that all kind of, uh, were at the, uh, the, the sort of riots and demonstrations and protests against the war at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968 and... After uh, Nixon was inaugurated, the U.S. government basically tried to charge them with uh, conspiracy and and trying to incite these riots, even though they all kind of came (laughs) to these protests from from different angles. Um, So, like, you have people like Abby Hoffman, who are kind of more radical, outspoken um, leftists, and then you have a character like uh, like John Carroll Lynch is playing David Dellinger, who's a more like I don't know, he's a middle-aged sort of traditional uh, pacifist type protester uh, slash Zodiac killer. Slash... Watch out! <laughs> That's true. Twist. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it's it's just a, a good courtroom drama that feels. Um, you know, timely because it's uh, about the way the government can try to uh, enforce, uh, you know, protesters to not be able to to exercise their their free speech. Uh, and uh, it's got a it's got a pretty fun, good cast. Uh, Sasha oh, Barrett Cohen is in it. Also, Eddie Redmayne is actually doing a pretty good American accent. Oh, <laughs> I feel cool. like I always assume he's going to do a weird accent that I don't believe, but he's, he's solid in this. Joseph Gordon Levitt shows up as the uh, prosecutor. <gasps> he still acts. I know. It's been a while. Uh, Michael Keaton shows up briefly. Uh, it's pretty awesome when he does show up. Uh, that's kind of always the case about Keaton. Frank Langella is the judge. He is a bad judge. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. It's I mean I mean it, it basically the whole movie is kind of the the trial basically, but it like cuts back and forth to the the demonstrations and the planning of it and everything happening around the trial. Um, has kind of a corny ending that I didn't like so much, <laughs> which I guess it also has in common with Steve Jobs, which was another Aaron Sorkin script that I like a lot apart from the ending. And I'll just, you know, 
compartmentalize it, I guess, and just say I I, I like it. <laughs> but besides that part, but uh, yeah. An Aaron one. Sorkin courtroom drama. This sounds like Sean's favorite movie of all time. No, it's it with those elements is uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty Sean. <laughs> I'm sure he'll watch it pretty soon. Well, yeah. Let me tell you about my deal. Yeah. I um. So as you know, in Washington State, they uh, opened up COVID restrictions a few months ago to like. You can you can visit a few people. You can like add people into your your circle to use a Google Plus metaphor. Uh, still relevant. Um, and so I, I did add my uh, my family back into it, and I've been um, resuming my Tuesday movies with my dad thing. Except now that cinemas aren't a thing anymore, we've just been watching movies at each other's uh, homes. And I assumed this week uh, we would be watching the Trial of the Chicago Seven. But I come from a West Wing family, so it turns out that they couldn't even wait, and they watched it this weekend. <laughs> um, and so when I came over, we ended up watching my little pick this week. Not a new movie at all. Uh, 1999's The Mummy. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh, this is so perfect. This, this... It's an amazing companion piece to it this is. movie. It is. I was going to bring that up during our conversation on Dracula, but go ahead. Tell me what it was like watching The Mummy again. <laughs> well, so first of all, um, it's it costs, as you'd expect, $3.99 to rent a 4K version of this on any streaming service. Um, but my dad was not paying that. Not when he owns the tape. So, on his 65-inch 4K TV, we watched our 20-year-old VHS tape of The Mummy. That's so good. He spent good money on it 20 years I, ago. I have a lot of respect for that. He's like, well, we own this. I'm not paying money again. That's mm. hilarious. But, like, um, was, do I, you think it was more trouble setting that up than it would have been just to rent it? Or was it so, already set up? It was all set up. I, I I asked him about this too because I thought it was a new VCR because I remember him bragging about having bought a new VCR. <laughs> and what he told me was that the new VCR broke immediately. Like it was <laughs> like probably not immediately. It was probably sitting around for a long time before he tried to actually use it. And when he tried to use it, it didn't work. Um, it was like eating tapes. So oh this God. is so he had to like get out his old VCR for us to watch it, which was funny because the remote had been like clearly stomped a few times. <laughs> it's just like missing buttons. Um and then yeah, this this the beginning of the tape is like you should buy the DVD of the mummy. It's in <laughs> widescreen. <laughs> uh and then after that is a commercial that says you should buy the uh, cassette, uh, the uh, the compact disc of the Mummy soundtrack too. <laughs> Remember when they were pushing that sort of thing? Um, but yeah, so I mean, the, there's the weird similarity that this movie, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, begins hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, um, in a flashback where two where there's a doomed romance where a uh, um. The, uh, the 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 woman gets killed and then um, the man tries to get revenge and bring her back from the dead uh, but he gets tortured horribly uh, and that's that's Imhotep in this one um, 
you know, it's a, it's it's a bit goofier than the, the very artsy version of that you get in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, but it's, but I would say this movie's just as horny as that one at this part because they make that girl walk around in basically no clothes, and they're like, she's the most beautiful woman in all of Egypt, but no one could touch her except for her husband, who's the uh, the pharaoh. Um, from there, it kind of diverges in similarities. Uh, because uh, do you guys know much of the history of how the mummy got made? Not really, actually. No, I don't. So in the early 90s, they were like, we're going to bring back the mummy, but we'll do it as like a low-budget horror movie. And so they got Clive Barker to make um, Ooh, to make a mummy movie. Okay. Um, but uh, he wasn't able to work with the Universal. So then they got Joe Dante to make a mummy movie, and he uh, was going to cast Daniel Day-Lewis as the mummy. Oh, <laughs> no. Would he really have done it? That sounds, that sounds too good. That's, that's and, this movie doesn't make any sense. And the problem was his budget was nearing uh, tens of millions of dollars instead oh, of the right. ten millions they had set. So it got too big, so they kicked him off. Then they bring in George A. Romero to do the mummy. They're like, this guy knows oh. zombies. I think I've heard of the, I've I've heard that was a thing, but I don't know any details about that. Oh my gosh! And he, he even like he did a draft of the script. Like he was he was gonna make this movie, um, and the reason it didn't happen was it was too dark. Oh. I don't. <laughs> like fuck that shit so i i guess they tried to bring in uh wes craven after that but he just straight up turned it down and heavy then, hitter after heavy hitter jesus christ and then and then finally they bring in the man who brought this one home steven summers who totally reimagined their low budget horror film as a mid-budget action adventure movie like indiana jones like he straight up said like i'm just trying to make an indiana jones movie <laughs> Um, and he, like, he nailed it. This is like a sexy, goofy, fun '90s action flick. Um, I think what they do really well in this is they make they they make all the characters one dimensional, but that like just helps you remember them and like care about them just enough that when they die, you feel something because <laughs> they all do die. It's that's kind of surprising too. It feels like that doesn't happen now. Um, but you got like Brendan Fraser who like, so you want, he, like he had the potential to be the amazing action comedy star of, of this time. Um, it just didn't quite work out, but he, like he, he, he's, he looks super hot. He looks cool shooting at stuff, but also he can do the comedy. It's, he's pretty great. And, uh, and Rachel Weisz definitely. Uh, definitely weird that like this was the like her big break because it doesn't yeah. seem like she did a lot of big franchise movies like before or since. No, uh, not really. Um, but then yeah, like they've got, they've got some other uh, memorable but uh, not famous people in the movie too. Like John Hanna is plays her her brother, uh, who's someone I recognize from Agents of Shield, and uh, and then. Odade Fair is in this as well. He's the, uh, you know, there's like the, the the like secret cult that's been trying to stop people from finding Imhotep yeah, from all this time. Of course. He's like the he's like the recognizable guy from that. He has like tattoos on his face. Yeah, I remember. I remember this movie. Pretty yeah, well. uh, that guy plays one of the main 
Destiny characters. Uh, oh, which I is didn't funny. Because uh, like I I associate him with like narrating PvP matches, so it's weird for him to not just be talking about like you're on a killing streak. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Well, Sean, don't forget this has Jonathan Hyde, the jerk dad slash evil hunter from Jumanji. <laughs> sure does. He's always playing this character. He plays this. He plays the same character in every movie he's ever been in. Stuffy uh, British asshole. Um, but he's like the one who knows. Like, oh, we've we're, we're so fucked. We've unlocked the curse of the mummy. Uh, I think this movie is super fun. I love the mummy. Um, I actually do think it has some pretty scary parts in it. Like, I was always really freaked out when the mummy goes after that one guy who's like already blind and missing his tongue. And he's like, yeah. he's going to need more. I always thought that was pretty scary. <laughs> and then near it's the so end, funny that he t- the guy who's basically blind. He's the one whose eyes he takes. So yeah. It's like, is the mummy is the mummy Loki blind this whole time? That's a good point. I never thought about that. And also later when Benny's like crawling through the temple and it's like the, the it's like starting to like close in and it's like getting really to the point where like he's gonna get super squished if he's not quick enough. Yeah. There's no, there's no scary way than dying than being squished. But then also there's also the evil scarabs, and those are pretty scary. Um, I always wonder what kind of um, safety uh, implementations they have when they're filming scenes like that, because like it's, it's always like they just barely get out without getting squished. <laughs> and I'm sure like part of that's camera angles, but I, I wonder if like if it's just like it's one of those things where it just automatically stops if it actually I mean, runs into any resistance. It's probably a guy with or... like a rope slowly lifting it down, right? It's not like they actually built a crushing device, right? <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Also, um, one other thing that I thought about while watching Dracula that reminds me of the Mummy is I feel like the trio of Americans in the Mummy remind me of like the trio of uh, male suitors in Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about those guys in a little bit because those guys are funny. Uh, at least they were for me. Um, but yeah, man, Mummy, a great comparison. You know, also, um, I'm dying to see it now. Someday we all got to watch Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. <laughs> I got to see what the deal with that is. Fun fact, guy uh, who wrote that More movie on that wrote... later. Yes, yes, so you already know. Um, so let's talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I wanted to start this with just throwing out a, a few fun facts about bram stoker because for as much as a horror guy as i am I, I i don't really know anything about bram stoker and his name is in the title of the movie so i figured i could learn a few facts so abraham stoker uh born in dublin ireland in 1847 uh spent most of his adult life working in london he loved writing and he also loved the theater um and what's, fa- what's funny is he was more famous in his lifetime for being the personal assistant to Sir Henry Irving, who was like a famous London actor at the time. Um, Henry Irving owned the uh, Lyceum or Lyceum Theatre, which is, I-, I think, a famous theatre in London. And Stoker was the business manager of that particular theatre. So he was basically just writing in his spare time. And he did a lot of, like, trips to Eastern Europe and studied vampire folklore. Um, was the Lyceum you know, Theater in this movie? It was. Good like eye. I, I feel it like is, I saw that there. name in the background. It is. And there's, okay. uh, there's uh, I believe, like, some sort of uh, sign that says Sir Henry Irving as uh, Hamlet. Wow. So uh, here's a fun fact that I'm going to drop right now. So mm-hmm. everyone says, oh, Dracula, he was based off 
Vlad the Impaler, because Vlad the Impaler's real name was Vlad Dracula. And even in this movie, the backstory for Dracula is very similar to Vlad the Impaler. But in all actuality, Bram Stoker only took the name from Vlad the Impaler. He basically based Dracula off of his boss, Sir Henry Irving, (laughs) which I find very amusing that someone's just like assistant or manager wrote a book about them as an evil monster. It's like it's like if we found out years later that Brian Epstein had written a horror book with a group of monsters called the Weevils or something. <laughs> I just found that so funny. But um and he'd written so Stoker had written a handful of books, but he didn't actually write Dracula until he's fifty. Everyone likes to drop that fun fact it's like Oh, you're never too uh, too old. Bram Stoker was 50 when he published Dracula, but he had published stuff before that. It wasn't his first book. Um, none of it was a big hit. Uh, in fact, in his obituary, it doesn't even mention Dracula. It just mentions, oh, he like wrote sometimes or something, I think. I don't know. It mainly talks about him working in the theater scene. Uh, so, yeah, and he died in the early, ni- um, I think, 1912, somewhere around there. Uh, so Dracula really didn't start getting popular until movies became a, a thing, until like Nosferatu came out. Uh, and that's why I think it's cool that this movie uh, that we watched uh, has a lot of uh, just homage to classic cinema, because that is a big part of Dracula becoming uh, a part of our pop culture. Um, but also to throw it back to Bram Stoker, I think what impresses me about him the most is Basically, everything we know about vampires today is because this nerd just did his homework and compiled every vampire fun fact he could find and put it into his book. Like, I feel like everything we know is the stuff that he found in old books on mythology and then threw into Dracula. And that's pretty amazing. I I wonder if he hadn't done that, would we know what vampires are or would we have, like, vampires as well-defined as they are? So, uh, I just want to give Bram some props there, man. <laughs> Good job. Uh, it's sad that he didn't get to see this be a hit in his lifetime. Hopefully, uh, he had some friends that liked it or something. I don't know. <laughs> also, one other thing. This doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but... Did you guys always feel like Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley were, like, relatively around the same time? Or is that just me? I probably assumed so without yeah, doing I didn't, the research. I didn't realize um, this book came out like 79 years after Frankenstein, so not that close. Yeah. This uh, this book was um, came out in 1897, so pretty close to the 20th century. Mm-hmm. They were not contemporaries. Uh, when Mary Shelley died, Bram Stoker was four years old, so... <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was interesting because it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like Dracula is like this really old book. But it's really not that old. I mean, it's the 1800s, but it's the very late 1800s. Um, so that was just kind of interesting to me. Okay, so that's Bram Stoker. <laughs> now I'm going to do the origin of the script. I'll, I'll try not to drag this out too long. So... The script for Bram Stoker's Dracula began as a spec, uh, spec script by James V. Hart, who um, seems like he was kind of the go-to guy for like stylish literature adaptations. <laughs> he wrote Hook, which is a kind of a fun reimagining of Peter Pan. Of course, he wrote this. 
He wrote Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and he wrote Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> so a lot of oh. interesting takes on some, some some classics of literature. He also wrote Contact and Sahara and Tomb Raider 2. Not sure how those fit into the narrative. <laughs> but this guy, he was uh, he got he did a lot of he got a lot of work. Not all of it was good, but he got a lot of work. Um, so this script was supposed to be a TV movie directed by Michael Apted. Uh, and I'm not sure what <laughs> happened with that. But somehow this script was floating around Hollywood. And it was actually Winona Ryder who found it. And she just had this messy exit from Godfather 3. Like, I think she was supposed to be in it and then dropped out the last second and it delayed production. So she's like, I'm sorry, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Hey, maybe we can work together on another project. So weird that, that like, in my mind, Winona Ryder is in Godfather 3, but she isn't. (laughs) Maybe I've just always known that she, I think she dropped out of playing the, uh, the part that Sofia Coppola ended up playing. Yeah. It does feel like she's in that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> Guess not. But, and of course, the script she handed him was this one. And in the story I read, he just kind of grabbed it, and yeah, he just politely nodded. But then he looked down at the cover, and it just said, Dracula. And he was like, fuck yes. <laughs> I can do something with this. Because even though I'd been done like a bajillion times... I think he just he started getting all these ideas of what he wanted to do. And man, this movie has a lot of ideas. Like <laughs> I, I think one of the the fun facts that most people drop um first about this movie is the fact that it was mostly almost I think entirely done on sound stages um and interiors which sounds expensive but I actually heard was to uh save money cuz I guess he had a reputation for spending too much money on stuff like <laughs> Apocalypse Now and going way over time, way over budget. So this was like, we're going to have controlled elements. This is going to be like focused. Uh, but like, I just it just seems like it gave him such amazing control over what the sets were going to be like. And some of the exteriors are really unusual too. And maybe we'll talk about some of those weird locations and everything. Um, yeah, I think you really feel the soundstage thing in the in the opening sequence with the you know supposedly epic battle. The epic battle. Just... That's. I don't even know if those are all guys. It was originally supposed to be shadow puppets, which makes a lot of sense because it's just silhouettes fighting each other in a big war. Uh, but yeah, it's clearly just some guys on like a, a red set, some moody lighting. Yeah, and then all the other scenes in the in this prologue to the movie take place in the same room. So yeah, this is where Coppola put a lot of his money was in production design, um, obviously the makeup, and he made a point of he wanted to put a lot into the costumes, and he um, hired um, Iko Ishioka, and she was a famous graphic designer um, in advertising before she transitioned to film in the 80s. I think she was the production designer of uh, Mishima. And um, Coppola hired her after she did the Japanese poster for Apocalypse Now. At least that's where he became familiar with her work. And I I found a cool feature on YouTube of her talking about her inspiration for these costumes. And what was cool is that for all the costumes, she, like, would pick an animal and then go off of that, like, 
the uh, I don't know what you want to call Dracula's armor in this. I call it <laughs> Gods of Egypt armor. But yeah, uh, it's like a it's like it looks like like the muscle system of a human body, but it's his armor. But she's like, oh, this is an armadillo. I just made it based on an armadillo. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with Dracula, but I like it. She said she'd never seen the original Dracula or anything. She didn't know anything about Dracula. But she's like, armadillo armor. <laughs> and then uh, Renfield's got those finger braces, which is like, oh, it's kind of like insect, like hands or claws, because he eats insects. Mm-hmm. And there's like a wedding costume in there that's like a lizard frill. And Lucy has oh, a totally. snake dress. And yeah, so they just put a bunch of money into that, and of course it won an Oscar for costume, so it totally, totally worked out. So that's cool. And then I guess the last fun fact I want to drop before we start talking about the movie is uh, the the visual effects in this movie. They're almost all done in camera. Um, there was no computer effects in this movie. Uh, everything was like old timey. Uh, kind of like turn of the century George Millet tricks you know, like even to the point of like like there's a shot in this movie where there's some rats crawling upside down and there's like Jonathan Harker's like walking under that in the frame and I watched a feature where how they did that is they filmed the rats walking right side up and then they literally like flipped flipped the film upside down and then like filmed over the bottom half of the of the celluloid, I didn't even know you could do like that. You could shoot over it twice. Like, I'm not sure I completely understand it, but like, it's like, wow, this is some visual trickery. This is some magician shit for sure. And I watched this great featurette where there's like Coppola's like in um, a meeting with a bunch of guys and he's like yelling at them. He's like, you gotta use your imagination. You gotta make it happen. We're not doing computer. You gotta use your imagination. And he fired his like whole effects team. Um, early on and then it's like i'm gonna have my son roman figure this out so then roman coppola it was his job as second unit director to like wrangle the right guys and figure out how to do a lot of these like weird projection effects roman coppola was like 25 years old at this point (laughs) in time but and who knows how much he actually really did but i mean this movie looks pretty impressive so he obviously was doing a good job of leading the second unit so I just thought that was cool, especially considering it, like he went on to success as a filmmaker. It's so funny that, um, like, you you or at least I always think of um, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas as kind of like kindred spirits among directors, but here he's he's taking the totally opposite George Lucas approach. Instead of cutting edge technology, he's doing this throwback. Yeah, he's that's really interesting. Old timey movie, uh, which is cool. Okay, and that's 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 as much background I think I want to give uh, for Dracula. Um, I don't know if I want to break this movie down by trying to go through the plot or by going through the characters. Um, I, I seem like we usually do the plot. I guess I can do that for a little bit, and then if I get bored, <laughs> we can do the characters. So, yeah, we have this, uh, this whole opening, like you're saying, Sean, like in The Mummy thousands of years in the past in this case it's like uh it's like 1462 or something and dracula is a romanian knight who's a member of the order of the dragon gotta love that name right i believe dracula means little dragon is something that i found out 
Um, and so he goes off to fight the Turks and his gods of Egypt armor. Uh, and he goes and they have that weird silhouette battle, which I like, mm. even though it's, you know, it's, I like it. I like it. He impales the guy with a spear and then lifts him up off the ground. There's something about totally those like, I, I, but pretty cool. I just keep wondering like, is that a puppet? Is that a guy? Like, I don't know. I just, once I knew there was so much visual trickery in this movie, I was questioning everything I was seeing, but that's okay. I was, I was impressed. Um, but I, I guess there's a miscommunication and his uh, wife back home, who's also Winona Rogers in, in multiple parts in this movie, the, the mummy thing again. Uh, it's miscommunicated that he like died in battle. So she just, even though like seemed like they kicked ass, like who, who delivered this message? They, they totally <laughs> messed up. They won. I, I think they say it was the Turks, like the Turks, Turkish spies oh, did that just for revenge. Oh, Turks, man, they fucked up. Or no, they did exactly what they meant to do. Uh, she throws herself off a tower, off a building. And uh, he comes back, and he's just super pissed. And Anthony Hopkins is there in the past, too, as old-timey, I don't know, wizard. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> so he's he's like a, a priest. priest. Yeah. I mean, priests and wizards are pretty similar. <laughs> And uh, Dracula says, I renounce God. And then uh, does pretty much the coolest thing you could do after saying that, which is stabbing a cross and then it bleeds and then drinking the blood. Yeah. And I, I guess when you renounce God and then you drink that blood, you become vampire man. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, and that's something that uh, that's going on in a, in the mummy as well. Where it's like, why is it when you do a bad thing, you get powers? Because <laughs> like in the mummy, they're like, we're gonna kill this guy and bury him, and we're gonna kill him in like the worst way imaginable. It's gonna be so painful. But side effect, if anyone lets him out, basically he's an unstoppable killing machine. <laughs> now, now, Sean, remind me in the mummy. So they kill Imhotep. Do they like bring him back with like a curse, and that's what makes him evil? Is like their magic words or something? Is the resurrection no, the, process what makes what makes it mean? The, the 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 they use the book to like accidentally start the plagues up again, uh-huh. but they also just like let him out because like the the way that they killed him was so cursed that it also it just turns out that he gets a lot of powers from it. It's weird. It's weird. I just like just kill him then. Don't <laughs> why run this risk? Why chance it like this? Ah, uh, I don't know. It's not people. a problem with Dracula, though. No. Dracula, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he did it to himself. All right, I'm gonna, uh, I will mention that it, yeah. it's because uh, it's because she committed suicide that, um, that he did this. It's uh, the priest. It's a total dick. And he's like, you know, she committed suicide, so she's definitely not getting into heaven. Like, he's just rubbing salt in that wound. God, that's, that's like why. a neckbeard thing to be like, well, actually, um, because she didn't... Uh, <laughs> Fuck that fucking wizard, man! I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, Anthony Hopkins is doing the narration in this movie, like the Grinch. I should bring that up that he's also the narrator, which I like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna do a little more story, and then I'm gonna talk about some performances here. Uh, so then, in modern day, or I guess 1897, but you know that's modern day. 1897, you got Jonathan Harker, who's a solicitor, and he's going to Transylvania to take over um, uh, 
a client from his colleague, Renfield. He's going to go to Transylvania. He's going to meet with this Dracula dude who's acquiring some property in London. And I guess he's just got to go there to do the boring paperwork bullshit. Um, so let's get into it, guys. We're, we got to talk about it. Keanu Reeves is Jonathan Harker. He was cast for his uh, matinee idol good looks. I believe uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted Johnny Depp, but I think the studio said Johnny Depp's not a big enough star. Um, we're going to do Keanu Reeves. That's weird to think about. <laughs> well, this is, yeah, 1992 Johnny Depp is like post Edward Scissorhands, pre Gilbert Grape. It's it's crazy because it seems like way better casting. I mean, it's also like, what did Keanu Reeves have other than the Bill and Ted movies? I guess there's. I mean, a yeah, Point Break. Point Break had come out. Okay. Parent Parenthood it was a monster at the box office. <laughs> I assume. Right. Would um would Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp be a a thing at this point? That yeah maybe. Because, I mean, obviously they'd worked together in Edward Scissorhands, so that must have been where they kind of first, you know, know, struck up some kind of chemistry. I would imagine, yeah, they were probably together. So, yeah, like, even more reason. Like, a real-life couple could have been playing a couple in the movie, but Keanu Reeves is just, he was just so hot at this point. (laughs) Um... So, let's, let's talk about this, this performance, you guys. Uh, I've heard people say that this is one of like the worst performances in like a major movie. Is that saying too much? I mean, maybe. Because <laughs> at least he's not asked to do a lot of heavy lifting emotionally. Like he's a pretty. Uh, okay, maybe. I think he is. is he? He's just not delivering. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Maybe he ended up being a more stoic character than he should have been because of the performances. Yeah. So maybe maybe that is a bad performance. I don't know. Maybe He should have been the lead, but he becomes so passive that it feels like it's more, towards the end, Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins movie. Yeah, no, he feels uh, fairly non-existent as the star of this movie. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if Harker is ever that memorable in any <laughs> Dracula stories, I guess. I think you make a good point. Harker is just kind of there to set stuff into motion. He's not a super exciting character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, it's funny. We're going into this, like, I, I was well aware that people hated this performance. I believe there's a section on... I'm on the Bram, uh, the, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula wikipedia let's see i'm going to reception critical reaction there's there's like two huge paragraphs that just says criticism of keanu reeves performance (laughs) like i knew this movie had a bad rap in that way and i would say for the first 10 minutes i was not bothered it wasn't until he it wasn't until he had to emote that i was like oh no oh no yeah He's like, oh, no, Dracula, how dare you? And I was like, oh, no. I don't even think he could, be, he could do this like performance well in an American accent. This is not the right character for him. Uh, I, I think it's just, I don't think Keanu Reeves can play someone in the past. I don't know. <laughs> he has to be playing someone, and definitely not in the past in Europe. 
that's insane to me. Yeah. So, I don't know. It does seem like he, it's not a huge problem because he's kind of just like on the sidelines, <laughs> like after the first half hour. Uh-huh. Kind of just pops in and out later. Um, but yeah, man. I, I, would, I would say he's also not the only inconsistent accent in the movie like he's he's definitely the worst by a lot but i would say winona Ryder and anthony hopkins both have a little bit of trouble like staying in their accent lane they're kind of i am very excited to talk about anthony hopkins accent but first guys i gotta talk about an actor who at least my dad probably would have told you was one of the worst actors (laughs) at a point in time This movie has uh, Gary Oldman as Count Dracula. We we meet him. He's got the big, weird... I don't even know what you call this hairstyle. It's insane. It's like a weird Martian hairstyle, but also has like an epic ponytail in the back. <laughs> that was a surprise to me, was how far it goes down the back. <laughs> it's like when you see like a video with someone, and then you realize like they have a rat tail, and you're like, oh shit, it was like that reveal. <laughs> like you didn't know, but then you see it, you're like, holy fuck. Um. Yeah. I guess before we get into this, let me get into my dad hitting Gary Oldman. So I think that's the reason I didn't see this movie until this week. Because <laughs> like otherwise, this seems like uh, an easy choice for me. A horror fan. Um, kid grew up in the 90s. I should have seen this movie multiple times. But my dad hated Gary Oldman. I remember specifically when we went to go see Lost in Space. And he's like, that guy is so bad. And I was trying to wonder why he hated him so much. And I think looking at Gary Oldman's, like, mainstream Hollywood career in the 90s, you could make a case that he was going a little a little too over the top in some of the movies he was in. Um, I mean, if you think about, like, The Fifth Element, The Professional, <laughs> True Romance, and Lost in Space, those aren't the best performances. Those are very loud characters with funny voices and i think that was the reason he hated him i don't think he was aware of his career outside of mainstream movies um i don't know if this makes any sense to you guys this whole gary oldman (laughs) feud that my family had but it was a thing not really. I mean, I do remember after we saw Batman Begins in high school or whatever, you were like, oh, that's the most I've ever liked Gary Oldman in a movie. Yeah. I guess because he's see, just cause playing he, a know, regular guy in that movie. But, you know, you take a lot of your parents' beliefs when you're a kid. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Opinions. Did, did your dad know about tiptoes? <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think he knew about that. Uh, That's Tiptoes lucky. with Gary Oldman and Texas Chainsaw Massacre's The Next Generation's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Every um, time I think about Tiptoes, I'm surprised by how like recent it is. <laughs> like I assume it's a 90s movie when it's 2003. <laughs> but it's, it's wow same year as return of the king just as good yeah. um but yeah so it took me many years to get over that uh gary oldman grudge i had and i think it helped that gary oldman um in his later years 
I make it sound like he's dead now. <laughs> he's, he's got a he's got a big movie coming up in a month or so with Mank. Now that he's playing more older, because he is older, older guys. He is an old man finally, playing more mellow guys. I think we're finally getting to see him. I think at his best, in my opinion. But let's talk about Gary Oldman as Dracula. Do you guys like this performance? I think so. Yeah, I I, I liked it. <laughs> I don't know if he quite pulled off being sexy. Which is a big part of this movie. <laughs> Dracula's sex appeal. But he is, uh, I think, pretty compelling to watch. And I don't, I don't know if he goes too over the top. Maybe he does. It's hard to say whether, whether the performances or the style of this movie is the thing going over the top. Because it's a, it's a very lavish production. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it, where it's like he's in so many different like costumes and prosthetics. Uh, he has so many different looks. Uh, there's so many, like there are scenes where you're like, he's there and he's talking, but you're not even paying attention to him because his shadow's doing different <laughs> things than what he's doing. It's, it's like, it's hard to say, uh, it's hard to stay focused on just Gary Oldman himself whenever Dracula's in this movie. That's a very good point. There's always something to look at. Um, which is good and bad I definitely like I think we're probably all on this side right definitely prefer old man Dracula right that's the more fun part of the movie I mean if I have to pick a favorite it's gonna be bat giant (laughs) Batman now are you talking about Batman or are you talking about werewolf no, the, the and he's a werewolf a couple times. I think there's only the one time he turns into. Yeah, a, I was just making sure bat. that we were both. Yeah, I know. I remember Batman. I just was. I don't know if we're talking about Batman or werewolf. Uh, Batman is great. <laughs> I gotta call him something. Man, Bat is so good in this movie. Makeup is so good. I think it won that Oscar too. It damn well fucking better have. It looks. That is good. crazy that this like horror like a Dracula movie is winning Academy Awards. <laughs> I mean, is it any weirder than Rick Baker winning an Oscar for The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro? (laughs) You know, people like monsters. People like the monsters. I just didn't think the Academy did. I guess it is weird to think about the Academy in 1992, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, this is just a few years after Silence of the Lambs. Maybe they're more willing to give these uh, creepy prestige pictures a chance. Even though I feel like this movie, I think this movie presents itself as a prestige picture, but it's really more of kind of just like a light action movie with like a romance in it, um, which I think I actually liked. It definitely has those mummy vibes. It, it's not obviously it's not as swashbuckling as the mummy, but it has that kind of light adventure feel to it. I would I would I, I could say you could call this an adventure horror movie. Even if there's just a lot of romance scenes in between there. Um, it does, to me, also really feel like a, like a novel being adapted into a film. Like, it feels more episodic than your typical movie does. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I almost forgot about this. Uh, a few months ago, I saw that the Angry Video Game Nerd. You guys remember him, right? The angriest gamer <laughs> you've ever heard. Sure. Um, who's, you know, big horror fan made this very in-depth video about what's the most faithful Dracula adaptation. He watched like 20 different Dracula movies. And basically what he went off is how many of these movies have scenes that are also in the book. 
And Bram Stoker's Dracula had the most references to the original book. It's the closest. Uh, so I think that's pretty impressive. And I mean, it should be, right? Because it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula. It better be close. Um, but what's, yeah. so, what's so weird about that at the same time is that romance plot between Dracula and Mina Harker, not in the book. And it's mm. such a big part huh. of this movie. It is this movie, essentially. Um, Maybe that we... explains why it's the most confusing part of this movie for me. Now, how's that? How's that? How's the most confusing part of this movie for you? I just have a real hard time understanding if Mina is really falling in love with Dracula or if Mina is really the reincarnation of... Uh, I'm going to... Elizabetta? Oh, I think that's right. Elizabetta. Elizabetta. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I, I mean, maybe that is just the thing is she doesn't know either. But as an audience member, I have a hard time like telling what like was this Mina all the time? What is she actually the resurrection? Because uh, I mean, they're, they're both characters are played by the same actor. It's very confusing to me. I took it as she is the resurrected, um, wife of Dracula, and this is I mean, which is a bizarre coincidence that he even encountered her. Like, he really only found out about her because Jonathan had a picture of her. And he's like, oh, wait, that's, hey, that's my wife. I'm going <laughs> that's there. It's convenient. Good that's thing going I'm to already place. moving to London, yeah. <laughs> Good thing I'm already going there. Um. So, yeah, I took it as she's resurrected. And it's not like she's just falling for him because he's so damn charming. It's because that's just who she was. And she's now kind of, he's like tapping into her. Like, oh, that's who I am. I'm in love with you, not... My stupid uh, husband who can barely do a British accent. Um, you're my true love. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I was definitely like kind of like, even though this movie is always interesting looking and I, I, I enjoy it pretty much throughout the, the whole movie. Those romance scenes, I was definitely, I don't know, just kind of bored through some <laughs> of it. There is some good stuff. I like when they went to the museum and there's like, there's like some movies being projected there, and they're like, "That shit, that's just a fucking fad." <laughs> I thought that was a really nice touch. I love all the references to old timey movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. That was the only scene I even really remember, um, aside from scenes where he goes full man bat or full werewolf bat man. Uh, <laughs> a lot of transformations in this. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like Bram Stoker, he he did a little too much in his original book where he's like, you know, I don't think vampires are supposed to turn into werewolves too, but I'm going to put that in my book too. <laughs> so I feel like that's confused the whole legacy of vampires where it's like, are vampires also werewolves? It seems like they are sometimes. Like, I think that's why Dracula has hairy palms, if you remember that. He has gross hairy palms when he's yeah, he does. Dracula. Uh, Could not see that. It's not from whacking it, man. It's from werewolf powers. Uh, okay, let's talk about some other some other characters. Um, Mina's also got her squad, I guess. I don't know. She's like staying with friends while Jonathan's away, um, and she's yeah. got a friend Lucy, who's uh, bubbly and fun, and. Uh, Let's talk about some of the other friends, though. Let's talk about these three dudes. We don't like Lucy. I what I don't. I mean, what else to say about her until she turns into a vampire? 
pretty cool that she turns into a vampire. Though, it's, right? That's very cool. But that's like her character. That's basically Lucy's character in every version of Dracula. It's like, yeah, she's just some friend, but then she's a vampire, and then it's cool. <laughs> but let's talk about these other guys. Um, so we got Carrie Elwes playing Carrie Elwes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Slightly bigger mustache than usual. <laughs> he was her fiance, right? Or something? I thought they were all like into her. I was a little confused about what the, their relationship was. That's the vibe I got too. She, she had multiple suitors and she had to pick a favorite. And I guess she ended up choosing. But like, Carrie why are the other guys still hanging around? Well, you know, they liked her. <laughs> are they just they, there in case, like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'm there? Yeah. And yeah, okay. I guess Carrie Elwes is the the least interesting of the three. Um, got which Richie. is weird because he's the one who you would know in 1992. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have known who Richard E. Grant was in the 90s. It's it's weird seeing him in this movie. He feels like so much younger to me in this movie. I feel like he's just so much older now. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Well, it has been like 28 years. I just feel a like Carrie Elwes doesn't seem that much older now. But Richard E. Grant seems really old or something that's crazy that's the only time in history that that like goatee beard made anyone look younger <laughs> to me it always like makes people look 50 <laughs> years older um and richard e grant is dr jack seward and he uh i guess runs the insane asylum uh where uh um what's his face harker's uh original colleague renfield is now staying at and guys, it's Tom Waits. Tom Waits from Mystery Men. Did yeah. you guys? Do you guys think Tom Waits? Not considering he, you know, is a musician by trade. How do you think he does as Renfield? I think he does really good. Yeah, he's pretty good. I don't. I don't know if I consider Tom Waits a musician by trade at this point. Like, I've seen him in a lot of movies. <laughs> he has done a lot, and he did them early in his bit. career too. He's uh, in a lot of Jarmouche early on. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Mystery Men, his best performance, and Seven Psychopaths, and uh, all those interviews he did where he's the Joker. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, no. You guys know how the Joker, Heath Ledger's the Joker, is in, is basically inspired by. Um. Uh, Tom Waits yeah. and there's some interviews that Tom Waits did I don't know late 80s early 90s and he just sounds fucking exactly like the Joker in them interesting it's just so I, I consider those performances as well right. they're just so entertaining uh, but yeah man he's having a blast he's got the funny little weird insect uh, apparatus on his hands for some reason mm-hmm. he's just eating bugs but he's like yo I, I know I met this guy named Dracula and he's coming, yo. Watch the fuck out. He's just a harbinger of doom in this, but I thought that was pretty cool to get Tom Waits mm-hmm. to play Renfield. Just I think it. he's he's lucky that like unlike uh, Keanu Reeves, he got to basically stay in his wheelhouse, which is like mumbly, crazy, angry. Like uh, maybe he was doing an accent. I couldn't even really tell. <laughs> that you know that makes me think. So what well, then? What is Keanu Reeves' wheelhouse? What's his bread and butter? Like kind of, kind of character. 
like California surfer guy. California surfer. Okay. Yeah, or so like I'm... a intense action hero who doesn't have to talk that much, but he gets results. <laughs> okay. Sure. And he's such like a that. cold-blooded killer that he basically doesn't have emotions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like those better than what I was thinking of the idiot, but he only did that a handful of times. He's way past that now. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves. Yeah. He's only played a handful of idiots. Just yeah. basically Bill and Ted and Parenthood. Those are the ones I could think of. Um, I'm sure everyone in this movie was like, you know who's a good guy? Keanu yeah. Reeves. <laughs> sure they don't have a bad thing to say about him. They got him uh, an acting coach. <laughs> they also the had like did? no coppola did they also um <laughs> i think they also got like a coach to like help with like erotic scenes because he was too embarrassed and everyone on set was too embarrassed <laughs> uh which is weird when you're making a sexy dracula movie that i'm too embarrassed i guess i should have talked about but i guess i kind of forgot there's a lot of tension on this movie between winona Ryder and gary oldman actually where um, really gary oldman was very intense he would scream at her a lot and he was gary oldman was kind of going through a rough patch his life at this point i think he was he just um gone through a divorce and i think he was still kind of just getting over maybe being an alcoholic so he was a real hothead um but like coppola was kind of taken gary oldman's side so i think that caused a lot of tension between him and winona ryder and I think I read there's like a couple times where like Anthony Hopkins and Keanu Reeves like would not take direction from Coppola because he was just being so terrible to her. Um, so that's Yikes. disappointing. But it's also good to hear that Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, solid dudes. <laughs> Love those guys. And I'm, re- I'm almost ready to talk about Anthony Hopkins. But first we have to talk about uh, Mr. American. Uh, we got Billy Campbell from The Rocketeer as Quincy P. Morris. I love this guy. We need more of this guy. What's he doing it might here? Might be too late, John. I just mean the character, not Billy Campbell. I just, I don't know. I don't remember this character from any other version of Dracula. This guy is like, hey, how you doing? I'm here in Dracula Town. He's got a big ass sword. He's got a sweet mustache. Is he's he's the best of the three, right? Yeah, he's, he's definitely the most memorable. He's just ready to shoot that gun once once Dracula comes prowling around. I like the moment where he he gets the only like one liner in the movie, and Van Helsing actually just like laughs at it because it's so good. Which is uh, Van Helsing tells him to not bring a gun because he, he can't hurt Dracula with uh, with guns. He needs to stab him. He needs to cut his head off. And he's like, I wasn't planning on getting that close, Dr. Van Helsing. And Van Helsing just laughs at it. It's great. It's hella good. Let's talk about Van Helsing. So Van Helsing, he's brought into the story when, um, I guess I totally rushed over that great werewolf vampire attack when uh, Dracula comes to town and attacks uh, Lucy. And yeah, we're not like, talking about Lucy because she's in all the erotic scenes. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're just like France for a couple. We're too embarrassed. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to bring in talk- the second unit yeah. podcast to do that part. <laughs> we're just here to talk about imagination. We're talking about imagination. 
but yeah, werewolf, vampire, love that creature. Uh, turns Lucy into a vampire. So uh, Jack Stewart reaches out to his colleague, uh, Van Helsing. Who? What is Van Helsing's actual... He's a professor, but like, of what? I don't even... I should know this. I, I know about horror things. Does anyone get a sense of what he was... Was it folklore? Well, so he does... When we're introduced to him, he does something that is very shocking in the time of COVID, which is he's talking about bats, and he lets himself get bitten by a bat, and then he immediately sucks on his thumb where the the wound was. So, um, which doesn't even make sense because this guy knows about vampires and how they make you drink their blood too. So he should not be doing that. Um, but yeah, he seems like he is a because. Uh, Seward like looks up to him as a mentor, so he's a like doctor, doctor, but it's also like clearly some sort of biologist, uh, and he's a religious expert, and he's probably a historian. It seems like he's just like one of those like I know everything guys, a polymath. Yeah, he knows about vampires. He he sees Lucy. He's like, yeah, vampire. We gotta we gotta take care of this. <laughs> yeah. We just got to chop her head off and drive a stake through her heart. No big deal. So let's talk about Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I wasn't sure what ethnicity or background Van Helsing was. I had to look this up. He's The character's supposed to be Dutch. Uh, All right. With a name like Van Helsing, that makes sense. I assumed, I guess I always assumed German or something. Um, That's kind of the accent he's doing, yeah. Well, that actor in the original Dracula movie... I believe his name is Edward Van Sloan, brilliantly cast. He's also in Bride Frankenstein. Um, he was definitely doing a more German thing. But I was a little surprised. Anthony Hopkins, who, in my mind, one of our finest actors, it seems like he's kind of having trouble with whatever he's trying to do vocally. Were you guys getting that vibe? Yes. Because I felt like his narration... Was he doing the narration... In the Van Helsing accent, or was that his normal voice? I think he's trying to do it in character because I think when he comes into the story, he's like, "And that's when they reached out to me." <laughs> oh, I, I missed that because it sounded very much like classical Anthony Hopkins. But then midway through the movie, I'm like, "Wait, wait, he's doing like an accent. He's like, he's like a Dutch person or something." <laughs> It's like that moment when we watched L.A. Confidential, and I didn't realize until like halfway into the movie that James Cromwell had an Irish accent. <laughs> and I don't know what happened here, because Anthony Hopkins, like I saw, uh, what's that that movie where he races the motorcycle? <laughs> I used to, World's Fastest Indian. Like, is it a motorcycle? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I used to like... They see one of my favorite performances because he was it was such a good New Zealand accent in that movie. So I don't know if he just had to like work his way up to that or what's going on. I mean, this, he's this is Anthony Hopkins in his fucking prime. Um, Maybe it was just the movie only could afford the one acting coach, and that acting coach would have spent all the time working with Keanu Reeves. I guess the acting coach was doing a lot of work. Everyone was too embarrassed to talk to each other. Keanu Reeves was terrible. <laughs> He's probably like, Anthony Hopkins is good enough. He's fine. Leave him alone. He's got it. He just won an Oscar. He just won an Oscar. 
I think he had another big movie this year too, like Howard's End mm-hmm. one. Uh, I think it beat Dracula in the production design category, which I feel like looking back, I haven't seen Howard's End, but seems insane. Because <laughs> if there's ever a movie that should win for production design, it should be this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure uh, Sir Anthony was happy either way to see <laughs> one of his movies beat one of his other movies. Uh, you know, I'm struggling to remember. So Van Helsing's plan... Um, does he so they they gotta kill Lucy, but when does he set his sights on Dracula? Is that not until Dracula like doesn't Dracula kidnap uh, Mina and then he's like fuck it we gotta go get that guy. That's it, right? Because I feel like this movie it has like a romantic montage that lasts thirty forty minutes, <laughs> and then eventually Dracula's like I gotta make you a vampire. I'm taking you. And then Anton's like, fuck, we gotta go get him. That's my memory. He definitely doesn't feel like Dracula's archenemy, which is what you expect from Van Helsing. It's more just like he's helping, he's like the coach on the team. I guess I totally brushed over um, the part of the movie, too, where Jonathan is held captive and then, like, escapes uh, the Transylvania castle and then he has, like, gray hair. Cause I guess, I don't know if he's just, like, he was so scared that his hair turned gray. Oh, yeah, his blood sucked, didn't he? Okay, that I'm super confused. Uh, so he got... It seemed like he was being sucked dry by vampires, but he's not a vampire? Or was he a vampire? No, he's just a guy. Because the, there's the scene where Van Helsing's like, uh, during all your infidelity, uh, did you ever drink any vampire blood? And he's like, nope. I guess... And Van Helsing's like, you're good. No, I, I remember that line, but the thing is, I don't remember Lucy ingesting vampire blood, but I guess she must have. When she turned into a vampire? I don't know. I thought she just got bit. I, th- um, I think uh, it's it's when Dracula visits her for a second time that that happens, because for a long time she's just like dying, but then he comes back and gets her again. Uh, I like that it's a crucial part of our podcast where we have to, like, what happened in the movie we just saw this week? <laughs> I watched Here's this movie, a hot like... take on the movie. What happened? <laughs> I watched this movie, like, four hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I watched it a while ago. Uh, I watched it last weekend. I'm sure all the listeners love hearing that. Because, uh, yeah, I remember we got to go get Dracula, and then he's dead. I don't even remember how it how the final blow battle happened. Oh, can I tell you? It's yes, pretty tell cool. Me, remind me, Sean, bring me back to last weekend, but I was watching this movie eating Tootsie Rolls. So they're not sure of which way he's going back to Transylvania. So they, they chase him two separate ways. Um, and for some reason, the way they split up is all the young strapping men go on one team. And then the other team is just Van Helsing and Mina who's in like being transformed. Um, and so Van Helsing, Van Helsing and Mina like start getting corrupted by the, uh, the three vampires. They were draining, uh, Keanu Reeves earlier. Right. And that's that scene where, uh, he puts a cracker on her head and it like burns her. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. 
Um, I also liked how weak Van Helsing was when it came to being seduced. Because she's just like, I want to seduce you. And he starts kissing her. He was ready the whole time. Lonely, man. All he's got is his little bat friend. He's a weird dude. Uh, Yeah, and then meanwhile, all the strapping young men are chasing uh, this, like, carriage that has uh, Dracula in it. Uh, Because they know he's, like, weakest during the day. So they're like, we're going to get him before the sun sets. Um, And that's that's the part where they're just, like, killing those random Dracula followers. So it's like, who are these people? (laughs) Are they bad or are they just under his thrall? They're being killed. It just felt like they needed to put in an action sequence at that point (laughs) in the movie because they were nearing the end. So let's just throw it. Yeah, horse horse chase (laughs) scene. If this was the mummy, there would have been a scene where Dracula becomes like a hundred feet tall, and then they're like running away from him on like their horses. Yeah, uh, as he, he would unhinge his jaw, <laughs> start eating the ground. It's kind of like the scene, yeah, yeah, with the, the dust storm mummy from uh, from the mummy. And so when they finally catch up to him, it's like just as the sun sets. Uh, so Dracula like bursts out of his. Uh, uh, sarcophagus i guess coffin. um coffin there you go that's the word uh and uh but uh, he gets his his throat slit by uh jonathan i think although also i know that uh the american the cowboy guy gets his bowie knife in there too hell yeah stabs him but he dies i'm reading now in the wikipedia jonathan slits his throat with a kukuri knife while the wounded Morris stabs him in the heart with a Bowie knife. Two kinds of knives. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I really like the uh, the ending where... Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mina, Mina like, tr- takes his body into the, the church from the beginning of the movie. And he, like, repents. And I guess this may be granted salvation by God after all these years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to me, the cool part... <laughs> Is Mina's got to stab that knife to like finish the job, and she, she like stabs it so hard it like goes all the way through him, and it like goes into the ground, and there's like sparks. She like really nails it, and then that's still not enough. She t- pulls it back out and chops his head off. Oh yeah, and he's like ugliest stage of Dracula at this part too. He's got he's got full vampire face, and he's got the gold robe yeah. and stuff. And they oh, still on. make Winona Ryder kiss him. He's just so sexy, even when he's the grossest <laughs> kind of vampire. He's that's Dracula, man. He's got sex powers. <laughs> I didn't even talk about um, this movie's choice to have Dracula go back and forth between old and young. Was that he was young in the daytime and old at night, or was it he could just turn whenever he wanted? I have no idea. I, 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 cause what? Yeah, go ahead. I please. assumed it was whenever he was like satiated by blood, okay. but maybe it wasn't that either. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think it's clearly defined. It's kind of just like, hey, sometimes he could be young Dracula when it needs to be, but uh, I guess when he's just chilling by himself, he's got his his uh, six foot rat tail and his weird poofy hair hairstyle and his hairy yeah. palms. That's that's like. His uh, the his version of sweatpants is turning into that <laughs> version of Dracula. As long as we're talking about like Dracula mechanics, we don't understand from this movie. I didn't yes. get the significance of 
like having Transylvanian soil with him. It seemed like he didn't really need it, but it, I guess it seemed important. I believe um, it's in the book that he goes transports um, with his soil because he, whenever he is in his coffin, he needs to be buried with the soil of his homeland. That's what like how he retains his powers. So it's like it gives like it gives him like an energy boost, I guess, when he's got the soil of his homeland. It helps him heal. It's, uh, just strengthens him again. Um, but I don't think they explain that in the movie. They're just like, yeah, we're shipping these boxes of dirt. You know, <laughs> we're not telling you why. Trust me. Just just read the book. Just read the book. Rich people can do whatever they want. Yeah, rich people can afford the shipping prices of just shipping big crates of dirt. Who gives a shit? <laughs> that's uh, that's where I'm going to end the conversation on Dracula. <laughs> shipping dirt. Um, this movie was a, a hit. It came out in November of 92. I think it was in the... It wasn't the top 10, but it was like number 12, I think, highest grossing movie of that year. A huge boost for Coppola, who'd had a pretty rough decade at the box office throughout the 80s. Um, mm. But then after this would kind of be hit or miss. Yeah, I mean, I kind of almost feel like he didn't even really make a lot of big budget movies in the 80s. They were kind of smaller <laughs> films and then he i guess he came back oh, with yeah, godfather right. 3 and then this it's kind of a, a return to mainstream movies i suppose yeah yeah weird career but what's after this please tell me it's jack there's probably a movie in between it's but i really want it to be jack something else before that uh looks like it guys it's jack uh jack, francis yeah. ford coppola followed up dracula with jack all right. That How hilarious weird. is that? <laughs> okay, okay. Reimagining Robin Williams is Dracula. <laughs> um, How good is that? Now Gary Oldman is Jack. All right. Back, so what, back-to-back movies with old age makeup for him. Also, how many fucking times are we going to talk about old age makeup on this podcast or de-aging technology? <laughs> as many times as possible. I feel like 90% of the movies we talk about are movies where a character has to play themselves as a young person and as an old person. Yeah. just secretly our favorite thing i guess so gosh you're looking at coppola's career it's like i think the rainmaker was a hit and then that's it then just like back to back like no one's ever seen it movies i mean he's pretty old now but like this was kind of like his last i mean not uh, the rainmaker i guess was a hit but this was close to his last hurrah which is weird because it's like his comeback too Mm -hmm. that's so interesting I want to. I kind of want to see more of those weird '80s movies he made. Yeah. I bet that would be cool. I've seen Rumblefish. It was fine. I don't even remember why I watched it. Just like I guess this is a movie. I'm gonna watch this. 
Alright, that's Dracula. Um, do we got any goofs? Yeah, the one I wanted to talk about is um, during the scene where they basically just do The Exorcist with Lucy. Yeah. Um, you'll notice at the start of the scene, her coffin has, like, it's like a Snow White coffin, where it's like it's glass and has like a lid on the Oh, inside. I love that, yeah. Uh, but then later she like gets back in her grave and that lid's just gone. And so that's the goof. <gasps> the glass lid on Lucy's coffin disappears midway through the scene. When the men look into the coffin, the lid is present. But when Lucy walks over to the coffin, she gets in without having to open the lid. Hmm. I think somebody I like had that. somebody had too much imagination. <laughs> I feel like in movies with magic and stuff, you could just be like, "Oh fuck it, a wizard did it." I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's. I think that's totally the case because if you remember, they had like the casket is in like a, a bigger tomb with like a huge heavy slab on top of it that they do not lift off so they must have been like we have no way of getting her to like move that huge slab and then open the lid and get in her grave in this scene that we're clearly shooting um to be played in reverse um so so what if we just uh don't show like the bottom half of of the casket so you don't have to like even think about the slab and then also we'll just take the lid off so she doesn't have to open it yeah imagination imagination that's yeah that's the movie's just all about imagination (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think of a tagline that would be like (laughs) enter imagination brave stoker's dracula i don't know something something better than that okay guys i'm uh i've been dying to do this this is uh so this next segment uh, recurring segment. It's, uh, John, John's Rogues Gallery. Mm-hmm. I'll do the theme real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, this is the best villains wiki page I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's a, for uh, a villains wiki character. Is this just for this? Uh, it is specifically for 1992 Dracula. Dracula. Okay. Yes, specifically this one. I have never seen one that is has so much wow. listed on it. I am really excited. We're going to have a blast going through this <laughs> Villains Wiki page. It is based on a book. Yeah. Our, our standards are raised. <laughs> okay, guys. We have Count Dracula, 1992. Guys, Dracula is an evildoer. Um, full mm-hmm. name, Vlad Draculia. Alias, Count Dracula. The Count. Yeah. Dracul. Okay. Dragul. Mm-hmm. Count Dragula. Oh. Like Wait. the Rob Zombie song, I guess. Like the oh my god, <laughs> um, Voivode of Transylvania. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that one. Prince Dracula, Prince Vlad of Sikuli. I, maybe that's like a region. I don't know. And Prince Dragula. <laughs> that's a lot of aliases. Origin: Bram Stoker's Dracula. Occupation. Knight of the Order of the Dragon, formerly self-denounced. Voivode of Transylvania, ruler of Castle Dracula, Lord of Vampires, nobleman. I can't tell if this is like a bunch of occupations or if this is one title. I'm going to read it as one title. Knight of the Order of the Dragon, Voivode of Transylvania, ruler of Castle Dracula, Lord of Vampires, nobleman. I think it's multiple things. He's a busy man. 
How is this guy the ruler of anything? He just like hangs out in the little castle being creepy. <laughs> Does he ever have to like lay down legislation? I guess that's not really what a king is like. I don't know. Okay, here we're getting we're getting into the fun part, guys. Powers and skills. Strength of twenty men. Specifically twenty. Shape shifting. Passing through small cracks. Mesmerizing influence. Psychic controls psychic control of his thralls. Um, is that like his followers? Is that what that means? I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. Aerokinesis. What? Aerokinesis. You tell me. Is that moving air? Let's say it's with moving your mind. At- I see. Let's make a fog, a magical fog. Okay. Atmokinesis. Well, maybe that's the magical <laughs> fog. If that's the atmosphere, which it might not be. Arabokinesis. What is any of this? I have no idea what we're talking about. Telekinesis. I know this one. Moving shit with your mind. Command over feral beasts. He can control mm. wolves. I can't remember. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. We can turn into a bunch of rats. Complete night vision. <laughs> Not just night vision. Complete night vision. Can crawl on walls. Right. I like that when he's like crawling around. I think I read they did that because there's an old uh, version of Dracula, like a 1911 printing where uh, the cover of the book is Dracula climbing on a wall. <laughs> so they, they paid homage. And his last power skill, considerable wealth. <laughs> oh the darkest power of them all yeah hobbies feeding on the blood of the living resting in his crates and his coffins abducting people oh, no excuse me abducting peoples and babies to feed himself and his brides <laughs> not just because there's the scene with the like they eat a baby right it's not just peoples peoples and babies you guys uh, brutally turning his victims into vampires and spending time with Mina. Goal. Yeah. His goal is to move to the United Kingdom and Europe to expand his hunting grounds. Hell yeah. And bring back Elisabetta to him. Crimes. He, oh, I don't know what this word is. Hemophagity. <laughs> Hemo, that's blood. Blood. And that's P H A G E T Y. Hemophagity. Maybe that's drinking blood? Or something? I don't know what this is. What the hell is this? I guess we just got to move on. Uh, hemo, hemophagity. Uh, we got murders. We got child murder. Different genre. We got rape. We got kidnapping. We got brainwashing. And we got stalking. That's all his crimes, you guys. That is a lot of shit to get through. And, like, his, like, 
there's still so much more like written in his bio and stuff. This doesn't even go into his genius level intellect. There's a whole paragraph somewhere <laughs> down on the page about his genius level intellect. And it's like immortality and all that shit. Um, and it's even got a quote from him, which Gary Oldman said, this was the reason I chose this movie was to say this line. And it was to say the line, I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Gary Oldman said, that's what made me want to do the movie was to say that, which is weird. Okay, Gary. <laughs> Last but not least, I think, the, the, I think I saw an IMDb trivia that that line is also repeated in, uh, what we do in the shadows TV show. <gasps> oh, funny. I love, I wish Gary Oldman had showed up in that. I bet they reached out to every single actor who'd ever played a vampire for when they did the council. I, I bet they, they did. Show. Yeah. They still got a good group for that episode. Okay guys. But last but not least, what kind of, um, villain is count Dracula in 1992? I'm going to go with, Bloodthirsty shapeshifter. Hmm. I think vampire is established enough that they would use vampire in it. Yeah. But what kind of vampire? So you don't. Is like vampire mastermind. Two on the nose. Is he really a mastermind? <laughs> He's, he does kind of seem like that he's choice? winging it. I'm going to say uh, vamp, vampire, uh, s- seductive vampire. I feel like you're getting close, Sean. He's a tragic vampire, which is kind of bullshit but whatever <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it makes yeah. sense he's a fucking dude <laughs> who feels sympathy for this guy <laughs> hmm. he's got three sexy vampire roommates and he's like you know what I need is a fourth yeah. sexy vampire roommate <laughs> that's his whole arc tragedy <laughs> hey I don't write them I just read them it's true okay um so that's it for dracula let's uh let's do our next pick sean i believe it is your choice you have the power it is but i'd like to kind of bounce it back to you guys because um i told you a few weeks ago that i definitely wanted to make death becomes her my pick for uh, halloween week yeah uh and i want to keep that on the table but there's such an obvious companion piece to this movie another 90s movie with a star-studded cast that is reviving a universal monster puts the the author's name in the title of the movie it's 1994's mary shelley's frankenstein uh and i just i can't decide which of those two we should we should watch so how are you guys leading on those two that is a very tough decision because i on one hand i've seen death becomes her i know it's good it's it's a very fun movie i but i've never seen mary shelley's frankenstein same writer of this movie I am very. Also, Frank I, I Darabont mean, comes in and does a revision of it. By the way, also it's Robert De Niro is the monster. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Oh. And we love talking about Robert okay. De Niro and makeup. Mind if I just do a quick, uh, like, little skim of the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein Wikipedia to see what other, see if there's anything else to entice me. I know this movie is not supposed to be. I don't think it's supposed to be great, but I don't actually care. Um. Wow, Frank Darabont called the film the best script I ever wrote and the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But it made uh, yeah it made Branagh. it made Peter Travers and Janet Maslin's best of the year list. Well, that's something. Oh. I was gonna say it's uh, it's Kenneth Branagh who uh, who has also worked with Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. on uh, on uh, Much Do About Nothing. He was like the '90s were a great era for Such him fucking cast i mean here's my thing i feel like we're there's a chance we may pick um death becomes her again in like the future like it has a chance to be on the table again i feel like this will never be on the table ever <laughs> again That's... there's no other time we're gonna be like oh you know i'm feel I'm, I'm in the mood to watch mary shelley's frankenstein it's absolutely true i it was not on the table for me at all until I knew we were doing Dracula. And I was like, maybe. I I would give the thumbs up for um for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Also, I would give it the thumbs up because it's not like we're a competitor or anything, but I believe Blank Check is doing Death Becomes Her on their podcast <laughs> next week. Oh, really? It would even be the same week as theirs? I'm just, I'm afraid I'm going to be like, I'm going to just steal all the facts I hear from that and then bring it up. Mm. So I do have one preloaded fact of a death becomes her that I want to share now if I never get to share it. And that's, I mean, it's not anyone who sees the trailer to this will, will recognize it automatically. For some reason, the trailer of death becomes her has the theme song to tales from the crypt in it. <laughs> and I don't know why. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It's fun. All right. Um, so yeah. I know how, how John's leaning. Colin, would you be on board with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Yes. John, did you say it made those critics best of the year list? No, you're right. It was worse. Because I'm seeing that it's on their worst <laughs> of the year list. It's gonna Uh-oh. it's gonna be bad. But yeah. I feel like it's gonna be interesting. Maybe. I'm afraid it'll be boring, but I guess interesting people are involved. Maybe it'll be good. It's Robert De Niro. Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> sure. Well, is All it right. on streaming? Well, it's it doesn't on matter, Amazon Sean. Prime. You have, you have, oh, did you see it's on Amazon Prime? It is. Well, if, hey, fuck, I don't have to spend any money. I'm down. Uh, Death Becomes Her is on HBO as well. Oh. You know, these movies you have to pay for. Well, Colin has to pay for one of them. True. Oh, Death Becomes Me. I don't know. Maybe we should just go for the fun movie. Hmm. No, I'm calling it. I think we were we we're leaning into Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and I'm not gonna let us chicken out. I mean, it's it, even if it's like even if we watch it and it's miserable, like we'll have seen it, we'll have covered it. I don't know anyone else who ever who's ever <laughs> talked about this movie ever. Yeah, I we're guess pioneers. That, that's a thing to just like know about a movie that no one knows anything about. It's like we we discovered this thing that didn't need to be discovered, but we lived. <laughs> so to tell I am the curious, tale. like, 
this doesn't have great reviews. Could this possibly dethrone the worst movie we've ever watched in this podcast, which I would argue is Olympus Has Fallen. Um, our first that's, that's episode. That's a tough bar to clear. It's a pretty bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it if it will. How it's it's Ken, it, it's Kenny B. It's Kenneth Branagh. How bad could it be? Let's see if those words go back uh, to haunt me. I'm sure he's got some bad movies. <laughs> yeah, he just did Artemis Fowl yeah. this year. Everybody's like, "That's a piece no, of I, shit." I saw it. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he can he can go go low. <laughs> and you can go low by listening to this podcast. This has been the pick. Uh, you can find us wherever you can find podcasts. You can also head over to our website, mildlypleased.com, uh, for the pick. And uh, you can also check out, we're doing Shocktober right now. We're, uh, we're talking about scary or Halloween episodes of TV shows. And it's been kind of fun. I watched the uh, Urkel puppet uh, episode of Family Matters. That was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I feel so- like you were very uh, biased in that one. You are just like... <laughs> I love this so much. I was ready to fight for Urkel because people are so hard on Urkel. I think Urkel's funny Uh, because he's a nerd. Um, But yeah, and if you like nerds, you'll love all our nerdy content over at mildlyplease.com. And we'll see you next week. So until then, see you later, suckers. (laughs) 